Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell and Trey Kolbeck. Uh, here with our week two CFL recap, episode 150 of the Canadian Football Countdown. Big milestone episode here. We're going to talk through all of the games from week number two. Lots to get through here tonight. We'll give our players of the week and our uh, updated power rankings here as well before I bring in the other members of the panel. I do want to mention we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. And as always, want to acknowledge that the Canadian Football Countdown is brought to you from Treaty 1 territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Cree, Oja Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation, as well as from Treaty 4 territory, traditional territory of the Cree, Soto, Dakota, Lakota, Nakota, and Métis Nation. Now let's bring in the other members of our panel. First, it's the great Michael Garrell. Mike, episode 150. You and I have been here from the start. Can you believe we're uh, hitting 150 episodes and haven't been booed off the internet yet? How are you doing tonight, Mike? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, right? Because I remember you and I were sitting right behind where I'm sitting now recording episode number 100, which seemed not all that long ago, and now we're back at 150. Um, Promise you 150 is not going to be as long as number 100, but in all seriousness, I'm dead. Right on. Happy to have you back after a couple episodes away here, Mike. And uh, joining us here tonight as well is the great Trey Colbeck. Trey, haven't been around since episode one, but definitely a part of the current and a part of the future of the podcast. Happy to have you here as always. Uh, how you doing tonight? No, I'm doing fantastic, boys. Yeah, got, coming around 9 or 10 for myself, I think. Uh, yeah, it was a great weekend. I think I told you guys I had a family social. Those are always fun out in the hicks. And uh had a lot of horse racing to watch this weekend. If you guys followed me on Twitter, I think I got a little annoying yesterday, but that's okay. Um, yeah, great talk football now. It was a good weekend again. So really excited, guys. Let's go. Yeah, lots of fun here tonight, recapping week number two. Uh, Adam is off tonight, but he will be back on Wednesday night with Trey and myself to preview week number three. Uh, really, I just didn't want to hear Adam's uh, Colorado Avalanche smack talk tonight, so I gave him the night off from the podcast. But uh, no, all jokes aside, uh, you will be back on Wednesday. Uh, well, let's talk some football here, boys. Uh, week two kicked off with the Montreal Alouettes facing the Toronto Argonauts first game for the Argos this season. They take the, uh, narrow one point victory out of this one. Uh, a game that ended with a little bit of drama when the Montreal Alouettes kicker, David Cote missed a 21 yard field goal to win the game. Uh, let's go to you here, Mike. Uh, what stood out to you in this game between Montreal and Toronto? Well, I don't know where to start, quite honestly, Ryan. I mean, you know, I think one of the more um, serious kind of reflections, if you will, is that if you took this as part of the first two drives of the game, uh, you would assume that Andrew Harris was after, you know, a Fred Reed in BCS performance from all those years ago. But, you know, it, it was the game that had a little bit of everything. And in the CFL, I always say it's bet the unexpected. Uh, but boy, oh boy, I mean, I, I, I think I was kind of joking when I said on 
I finished with the season preview show where one of those shows that I was on. Uh, Montreal didn't finish in last place. Um, yeah, you know, I, I still don't think that it's going to happen. But if you could pinpoint ways to lose games uh, in heartbreaking fashion, uh, they say good and bad things happen in threes. What's going to happen with number three? I just I'm scared to find out, but also intrigued to find out because last I checked, two and oh Saskatchewan comes to town Thursday night. And yeah, I know this is a recap show, but I'm really intrigued by who's going to be taking that opening snap behind center because all of a sudden, you know, Vernon Adams is not necessarily um the VA that we fought, you know, at least what I thought that should be up for MOP. It could still happen, but I, I don't know what to expect. Uh, we can get into the quarterback discussion. Because uh, I think that's rightfully the right place to start. Uh, never mind the missed field goal at the end. But, yeah, you know, the, the, this to me would... The game that I watched from start to finish without interruption, and probably I left with having the most questions out of anybody. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're live here tonight on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, etc. Put your comments in the chat and uh, tweet them at us, etc. We'll be taking them all night long. Uh, I forgot to mention off the top of the show. Thanks to our presenting sponsor, Game Time TV. Uh, check out uh, facebook.com slash gametimetvmb for more on that. But Mike teed it up. The big storyline here for the Alouettes and the Lost Trey is uh, the quarterback situation here. Vernon Adams Jr. pulled very early in this game by Coach Kahari Jones. Uh, just two of four passing for 14 yards, and he gets the pull. Are you surprised that came so early in this game? And uh, what do you think of the, how Trevor Harris did when he came in? No, I think that's going to be the biggest surprise. One of the biggest surprises ever is that it caught me off guard. I was coming back from the washroom and then I see Trevor Harris in there and I'm like, well, there goes my fantasy. So I think it was crazy. And, you know, it was absolutely absurd. I'm sitting there and I'm watching okay, for guys. I'm sitting there with my girlfriend who kind of knows football, but doesn't know it like we know it. And I'm going off. Why is this happening? Like, why the hell is Kari doing that? Why is he doing this? What's going on? What's going on? I don't care what the commentators are saying. Like, I'm going nuts. And she's just looking at me like, why you care? And I'm like, because it's fantasy points, boys. But yeah, but to be serious, Trevor Harris, I think he did fine. I don't know if you want to spread it out. Yeah, he was much more over, he was 60% on the day. And they pulled Her- uh, Vernon Adams for being 50%. So I don't really know why the pull was necessary. I think if they left Adams in, he probably would have had similar numbers. And it's not like Harris had a you know four touchdowns and came away with a big win. He had a pick and he got them in position for the field goal. But I don't know. It was a weird game to me. I never really felt like Toronto was playing bad to let Montreal get back into this game. But then at the same time, they only scored what 19 points, right? Yeah, or 20, sorry, 20. It was a weird game, guys. And you know, Harris, the way Harris played, you would have thought he would have had three touchdowns and, you know, you know, it, cause he got 18 carries and I think he got into the passing game a little bit. Yeah. With three there. So, you know, it was a really weird game, but yeah, the, for sure. The number one story is the quarterback situation and 
I don't know, Gahari being a quarterback, you think maybe he'd been a little bit more lead, have a little bit more leash. VA's been his guy, but yeah, I'm really interested in what you guys have to say too about it. Yeah, I, I think it's a desperation move by Kahari Jones. And I think it comes from the pressure from Danny Machocha, the general manager. I think it comes from the pressure of some of the comments from, you know, owner Gary Stern. And uh, we talked on our preview show uh, Wednesday last week about, you know, Stern's comment about how his team was going to go out and kill the Argos. Well, uh, that, that didn't exactly happen. And maybe he eats a little bit of crow for that. I mean, I'm, a huge, I'm still a huge Gary Stern stan. I, I, I love everything about his new presence on Twitter and him trying to figure that out. But he's put some pressure on Kahari Jones. You know, there's been a lot of talk of him being on the hot seat coming into this season. And I think it's an overreactionary move to game one didn't go as you planned. Like, you really didn't give Vernon Adams much of a chance here to pull anything off before you're like, okay, yeah, I got to put Trevor Harris in. Like, Mike, do you see it any other way, that, or do you agree with me? This is uh, this is a desperation move for a coach who's worried about his job. That was my thought on Thursday night when the moment happened. But, gentlemen, might I remind you what position did Trahari Jones play as a player? Quarterback. Right. So quarterback. So I, I I'm led to believe that. I'm going to be careful how I phrase this because it, it could come out wrong um, if you're not careful here in the, in the way I say this. Um, Trevor Harris is a former quarterback. Uh, what if it, uh, Trevor Harris, sorry, Kari Jones is a former quarterback, uh, most notably with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The coach generally has a pulse for what his team is in in game, during the game, after the game, in the week leading up. I wonder if in hindsight this had nothing to do with pressure, but whether he saw something from Vernon Adams that said, okay, this clearly isn't working. We have an owner that says we have to win. I expect results. Is it a combination of both? But I can't help but wonder if, Kari Jones saw something in Vernon Adams. He knows he's got a 1B matchup that's proven. Um, why not just try to flip the momentum? Every, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to the theory that there's a lot of pressure in Montreal, contrary to what the owner says. Because um, I don't know about you guys, but if I was owning a football team, and my money, sizable money, was being used, I'd expect some results too, I would think. Um, losing wouldn't sit well with me uh, when we're losing, uh, particularly the first two games on the road, where you feel like you did get a few more bums in seats, you know, if you don't one and one, or 2-0 and oh, going into a home, home opener against Saskatchewan. But I found funny, and everybody seems to kind of be along the same wavelength here. The owner in the box wearing Stan Bat's jersey. Okay, like, yeah, you can't pit favorites as an owner, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that was just a show of solidarity for his player. It's just very interesting. And, hey, 
finally the CFL has some personality. Victor Twee, uh, you know, Derry Stern has been on Twitter of late. Uh, can't be a bad thing for a lead with Latin for publicity. And I can't remember what the tweet was. Uh, some kind of uh, highlight or analysis thing that uh, Fahad Laji was tweeting out about TSN or something like that. And the response was, well, if it benefits the Arnold, if it benefits the Alouette and it benefits the CFL, I'm in. You know, we need more people like that. And hey, if you don't, if you invest massive money, you expect return on investment. Not necessarily everybody losing their jobs. I'm an owner. I want my team to win too. It, it, it's that simple. And I, I think it's going to come. I think if you want to set the expectation, but when they're a must, then yes, set the bar high. Well, in terms of, uh, you know, paying top dollar and expecting results, uh, perfect segue here. If you did that with Jake Winnicky in fantasy like myself, you were disappointed. Held off the stats sheet, zero catches, zero yards for a guy who was expected to be, again, a top receiver in the league this year. Very disappointing start to the season. We'll see if he bounces back. We'll see how the quarterback situation for Montreal plays out in the coming days and in the, throughout this week. Uh, I want to talk about the Toronto side of this game here. Uh, you know, first time we've seen the Argos in action. One of the things we talked about uh, for them coming into this game was uh the new faces right andrew harris uh brandon banks mcleod bethel thompson not a new face but it's his team he's the face of the franchise now i thought they didn't play too bad overall we talked about harris already a monster game brandon banks got his first touchdown in the double blue and it's still just as weird as ever uh to see him in those colors same thing with harris and i thought bethel thompson uh you know, 269 yards, a touchdown, and interception. Not a barn burner of a game, but he did enough to get it done here. Uh, Trey, what do you think of uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson uh, and his supporting cast here? Yeah, for sure. Real quick, I want to give a shout-out to my buddy. He commented to Tantacur on Facebook there, uh, old buddy there. So I'm actually glad he's watching. If he's still watching, say, hey, man. Uh, but, yeah, McBell, uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, I thought he played really good, uh, you know, fairly well, you know, for to be expected. Um Again, I'm kind of a believer in him, so I was expecting a little more. And especially when you have a guy like Harris and Banks. Uh, Banks had some nice catches, you know, and, and Harris was I, – I, I mean, he's the exact same Harris I remember seeing last year and the year before or the season before and before that. So, you know, he doesn't seem to have missed a step either. So I'm actually surprised they didn't win by more. Like, they should, Montreal should not have had the chance in the first place to have that game-winning field goal. Um Forrest Beattie also missed uh, two field goals, right? So that's a big six points there, I think. Yeah. So, you know, I like I liked Bethel Thompson, and I think I expect more of them going forward, and hopefully they get on a roll. Uh, Mike? Big thing for me is what happens here with Andrew Harris. I'm hoping that was just precautionary, but I can't imagine, you know – too many people being too excited about Andrew Harris being taken out of a game, but, you know, very much in reach. Like, this isn't sitting and die because you're up by 17 with four minutes left, and there's not a great chance of the other team coming back. 
Andrew Harris sat on the bench in a one-point game in the fourth quarter where his team could have used him to grind out some valuable clock. That might be the number one storyline here in Toronto. Um, or in Toronto, I should say. Um, it's going to be interesting because I finally saw some pretty good things from his bat up there, which was the t- a Canadian guy that they picked up at the draft. But he's no Andrew Harris. And isn't it funny? We had this discussion about, and I, for one, will take a lot of heat and accept the criticism that when I said that McLeod Bethel Thompson is not a good quarterback. Ryan, you have heard me say this on multiple occasions, how I am not sold on McLeod Bethel Thompson. I have not been in the past. It's amazing what happens when you put some weapons in front of him and he does some protection, what he is capable of. And maybe there's something to work with here. But as lucky as the Ardos got, and I'll use that term uh, with the misfield rule, they deserve to win. They needed to win because you did not know what the future of Andrew Harris looks like. Now, granted, everything looks like it's going to be okay, which is good news. But you also had a chance to jump out of first place into first place in the division because nobody else, despite having the week one by and up to that point, had won the game. So, light up on the East Toronto by getting a big victory. Their first game of the year at home uh, as well. So, you know, advantage Toronto for the East so far. And, you know, as much as we talked about Montreal deserving the win, the, to me, this just was a great football game with with uh, with uh, one team being fortunate enough to win. And, you know, it just goes to show that there is that opportunity despite, you know, that convert-like field goal, which is what it really was, you know, give or take a few yards. Nothing's a given. So play play to the end. You know, every yard you hold the team back of a team winning field was a opportunity to pre- present what happened. And do I think that just really quickly for people that seem to think I'm really not much well, do I think their season's over? I don't want to. And the way they've lost these two games? Absolutely not. The reason I am so hard on Montreal is I expected so much from them, despite saying that they would finish in last place. So I'm kind of contradicting myself, but I'm also kind of, I, I see a team with a lot of potential, but I can't figure out Jade Winnity for the life of me not getting a target or not getting a reception. Like, I, I have to do a double take at the statistics just to make sure. But you know what? Montreal gets a big division loss. Toronto gets a big division win. We'll see in November where these two teams are. Yeah. Uh, shout out to the Argos for leading the East Division with a 1-0 and record through two weeks. Uh, did not see that coming. Uh, as we get ready to move on to our next game here, uh, first of all, Trey, uh, we did, uh, you, myself, and Adam on our weekly preview show, made our betting picks for the week. How did we do on Toronto-Montreal? 
Yeah, and uh, I've been posting them on Twitter, and I hope everyone likes their little emoji that everyone got. Uh, I think Ryan's got the turtle. So, I, yeah, and I, I thought it was great. Uh, I was three and a half, Montreal plus three and a half. Uh, Adam and Adam took the minus three on uh, three and a half with Toronto. Ryan and I, myself, took the three plus three and a half Montreal, and we got the week started right. I don't, I think that would have moved us to like five and four and one or something like that on the year. And Adam would have went to three and two. Uh, so yeah, that's how we started off. But I know we want to go on, but I just want to say the Harris point. I think you take him out in that because in the division where two, three teams are going to make it out of the four, you want Andrew Harris playing in October, November. If he does something stupid June in a game, first game of the year, and he's done for the year, like we've seen now a couple big injuries, like then their season changes drastically. I think one loss, I, I think one loss early against Montreal is doesn't change as much as Andrew Harris gone for three, four months. So that's my take, but we can move on. <laughs> yeah, I know that that's a good point there. Uh, let's move on to game number two of the week. It was a rematch from the week before the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, never easy to win two straight games here. Uh, against the same team, especially at the start of the season. Uh, but uh, Winnipeg takes this one 19 to 12, pulls out the win here again. Uh, looked like, you know, Ottawa was maybe going to get a chance at a comeback here late in the game, but a roughing the kicker call on a punt uh, put seals their fate in this one. A tragic end for the Ottawa Red Blacks. A uh, big storyline to me in this game was. Again, almost another game where I thought Ottawa was the better team for a lot of it. You know, Jeremiah Mazzoli, 331 yards passing. Devontae Williams, great game on the ground, averaging 7.1 yards a carry. The problem is Ottawa couldn't finish. You know, that's the second straight week, I think, they where Jeremiah Mazzoli's thrown over 300 yards, close to 350, and they still, you know, they had 12 points to show for it in this one. No touchdowns through the air. Uh, none on the ground at all. Uh, one touchdown in two games there. Like a disappointing loss here. Again, Ottawa looking like a good team to me, but not getting it done when it matters. And maybe that's a credit to Winnipeg here for uh, getting the, you know, being a team that finds a way to get it done. Uh, Trey, what did you see in this one from uh, Winnipeg and Ottawa? Yeah, let's hopefully we don't have too much of our Manitoba showing in this one. But to be honest, I'm probably, the this is the most, Again, being a bomber fan, I'll be honest, this is the most upset I am at a 2-0 start. Like, I'm happy, but this is like the least amount of happy I could be. I think this team has greater potential on paper. Now we're going to see, is it Ottawa that's maybe better than we think? Or is Winnipeg maybe not as good as what everyone thought? You know, I'm surprised the CFL power rankings still have them one. And that's very shocking to me. So I don't know if that's just respect or what. But one point I really want to go, I think they need to run more. And, you know, they gave the ball to Brady Oliver a fair bit, but Augustine got the same amount of yards and half the carry. So I think they need to do a little bit more back there. That's my take on Winnipeg. Ottawa, Jeremiah Mazzoli just needs to get touchdowns. That's the only thing missing from his game. No picks, over 300 yards, 71% average, zero touchdowns. Like, you got to get one or two. And then again, if you got one or two of them, that's a different game. You change some of those field goals into touchdowns, right? Like that's a big difference. So that's my other side. And I think that eventually Lapo and Mazzoli and the offensive coordinator, I'm not too sure who it is in Ottawa, will get something going. So 
I'm not too concerned about Ottawa. I still think they have a good shot at the playoffs. And especially if Montreal's missing, what, 12-yard field goals, Ottawa's going to be on their heels and the standings all season long. Mike? Yeah, you know what, guys? I don't want to get my shorts in and not about this kind of game because I totally feel that Ottawa's one of the top teams in the East. Um if we work on the assumption that Winnipeg is one of the best teams in the West, which everybody seems to suggest they are, um, this might just be a good, hard-nosed early season battle of low-scoring games and defenses that, you know, take a lot of, I guess, anger on being scored on. Um, you know, you talk to some of those bomber defenders, they don't like being scored on. Uh it's natural. Um, would I like to see more from a bomber offense? Absolutely. But I think, guys, we could point to one thing. They use Johnny Augustine uh, in, in some packages. And I, I think that kind of threw a curveball uh, to the uh, defense. Uh, oh, no. We lost Mike. Uh, okay, Mike. We'll, uh, we'll get Mike to reconnect here. Uh in the meantime, you know, I'll, I'll just pick up here on uh, what we were talking about. Uh, you know, Johnny Augustine did get in in the first half for a 24-yard run uh, in there, but I think that was his only play of the first half. Uh, he, he got seven carries in total. I kind of want to see them give him the ball as the workhorse here a little bit. Let him go with it. You know, Brady Oliveira hasn't stood out directly here uh, through the first couple of games. Uh, why not give Johnny Augustine a chance here if you're the Bombers? Uh, uh, as we add, I think Mike is uh, is here and uh, will hopefully be uh, showing back up on screen in a second. Um, but the big thing that uh, on the Winnipeg side, and then I do want to talk more about Ottawa, the big thing that's shocked me through two games so far, Trey, is it's the Greg Ellingson and Dalton Schoen show. And I don't think we expected that at wide receiver to be Again, another week where we're talking about a quiet Rashid Bailey and a quiet Nick Dembski really not doing anything here for uh, Winnipeg and uh, the two new guys uh, leading the way. Uh, what do you think of this from uh, the Bombers' uh, kind of game plan and receiving core? Uh, you know, I, I'm actually not that shocked. Like, yeah, you want to see the guys Bailey and Dembski play, but, you know, Ellingson's got a good record. You know, you didn't think it'd take him that long to fit in and be maybe the main guy. And, you know, you and I talked during the preseason game about Dalton showing, like, are you really surprised after that game that he's getting the ball a lot? Like maybe when you first saw the pro, uh, the roster and you're like, who the heck's this guy? Well, maybe you're a little shocked then. But yeah, when you're leaving IG field uh, after that preseason game, that's the only name that really stuck out in my mind. So I'm not too shocked about that. I think the other guys will get the ball, but you know how defenses go. They focus on guys and it leaves others open. You know, there's only so many uh, players you can fully cover. So you got to get the ball out when you can. Yeah, and Greg Ellingson, that's two straight games with a touchdown for him to start the season, uh, fitting in nicely. A nice new addition here for the Bombers uh, to have him fit in an uh, instant connection with Zach Caleros. Caleros didn't look fantastic in this game, 15 of 22. 228 yards, two touchdowns and interception, but he did do just enough to get the job done. And really that's the way of the Winnipeg quarterback, right? Uh, is uh, they're never going to go out and uh, light up each and every week, but uh, they do 
find a way to get it done. 19 and two, I think it is now as a starter for Zach Kolaros in Winnipeg, which is insane. Um, over on the Ottawa side of things, this loss has to hurt to, to not come out of this with at least one win out of these first two against Winnipeg. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. What are we going to see from Ottawa going forward here? Because really for both of these teams, we don't have a ton to go off of because they play two games against the same team. So Ottawa's offenses looked real good through two games yardage-wise against what was one of the best defenses in the league last season, but we think has taken a step back. But how does how does Ottawa move on from here? You know, where where do they go next in terms of uh, just cleaning up those few small mistakes that they that they keep making in these games and, and finding a way to end up on the bad side of the results? Yeah, it's heartbreaking because like looking at their schedule, what their next games BC, Saskatchewan, Hamilton, like that sounds disgusting, right? So, I, I you know again on the other side, I said the two and zero is maybe the most unimpressed, impressed the two and zero. I'm going to say Ottawa's 0-2 is maybe my more impressive 0-2, more than Montreal, who shanked the kick, and right, and then um, Edmonton is just Edmonton, right? So and then everyone else has some wins in there. So, you know, yeah, I'm not too worried. You know, we see the East, not other than Toronto, I don't think anyone has a win in the East, right? So, and I, they got a long season left. They might have a bumpy road, but they don't need to finish first or second to get in the dance. We know what teams can do finishing third. And maybe they'll even finish fourth. Like I'm still going to hold on to that crossover. You know, it's a lot, a lot of a lot of season left, so I'm not too I'm not too worried about it. You know, we've seen East teams finish nine and nine and win the Great Cup, right? So I think that's what this team could be: is that team that gets hot late. Mazzoli starts finding the end zone, like I said, he needs to do, and and yeah, then I think Ottawa definitely be conversation in uh, November. And we're still waiting for William Powell to make his first appearance here with the Red Blacks as well, right? I mean, Devontae Williams had himself a good game with 85 yards on the ground, but uh, William Powell, if used to his proper ability, is a whole nother level here uh, to add to that Ottawa offense and I think uh, open things up a lot. What I like so far is we're seeing, I feel like, a lot of the Paul Apolli's game plan we saw in Winnipeg where you don't really have a go-to receiver. I mean, it seems like it's Jalen Acklin or it's Darvin Adams, but Nate Bahar, a perfect seven for seven for 91 yards. Like the, how often do you see Bahar at the top of the, the receiving charts for your team? A great game for him. Justin Hardy, kind of the new addition. Nobody really talked about coming into the year at seven catches, 10 targets for him, 55 yards. You know, Shaq Johnson had a good game last week. This week, he had a big, long catch there. Uh, Adams was solid again. Ackland was solid again. I like how they're spreading the ball around. I think it's going to be, you know, they just got to find a way to put the ball into the end zone. And I think they'll learn to do so over the season. But I almost draw the comparisons to a Trevor Harris-led Edmonton Elks offense from the past couple of years uh, where they had all the tools to succeed you know, Greg Ellingson, Darrell Walker, et cetera, et cetera. It seemed like they were going to be stacked. They just couldn't put the ball in the end zone and put up points. So that's something you got to see, I think, a little bit more from Ottawa here on uh, as they go forward in this one. Um, last week, one of the th major things we talked about on the Winnipeg side was the play of Winston Rose. Uh, rough week one for him. I believe he got burned for another long one in this game, but... Uh, Second week here, you also had Jackson Jeffcoat back on the defensive line. What did you think of the play from Winnipeg's defense here? 
you know, I'll give Winston Rose some credit because I think he leads in defensive tackles right now. So I don't know if that's a good thing. That means Ottawa definitely wanted to pick on him, right? So I think he did okay. Like, he did a little better if I'm focusing on him because I expect better from him. Like, a guy who spent some NFL training camp time, you know, was a pretty big part of the 2019 Grey Cup and stuff. So, you know, a guy I expect more out of. Now, to the whole defense, I don't know. I We were talking about this again in our group chat. There's a lot of things on the group chat we need to maybe actually post more of if we don't have time to talk about it because we do make some good points. Like what Saskatchewan leads the league in sacks, and they almost have more combined than most of the other teams. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's ridiculous. And Winnipeg should be one of those teams. I have not been impressed with defensive line play, uh, maybe six or seven of the teams in the league this year. Like, it seems like quarter – I think that's one reason why Mazzoli was throwing for days. He had time, and even if he had a little pressure, he just rolls out because he's got some athleticism. So, I don't know what's going on if it's a league-wide thing. Seems like, you know, other than Saskatchewan, no team's really figured out how to get to the quarterback yet this year. So, I'm hoping that turns around for the blue and gold. Their secondary is always going to be bend, not break, right? That's kind of what the Richie Hall scheme's been. And they ought to, like we said, Calaris is going to go out there. If he needs to win by, if he, you know, needs to get 19 points, he'll get 19 points. If he has to get 30, they'll find a way to get 30. You know, we've, we've seen that here in Winnipeg the last few years. Yeah, looking at some of the defensive stats, like Willie Jefferson through two games of the season has three tackles and no sacks. I don't know if we've ever seen, uh, and it's two games, you know, a lot can change, uh, but of course, but uh uh, just interesting to see kind of no major performance on the board for him here early in the season. Uh, maybe one of the best defensemen for uh, Winnipeg is one of the more underrated guys, and that was Kyrie Wilson. Everybody talks about Adam Bakehill at middle linebacker, but Wilson had a good game there. He got a sack in. I think Deatrick Nichols is filling in nicely in the secondary there. So, uh, you know, the bend but don't break Richie Hall defense strikes again for a second straight week where they give up a ton of yards. But again, I think it's what one touchdown, which was that early touchdown uh, last or last game last week in the first quarter. I think it was that was the only offensive touchdown. I believe the Bombers have given up through two games here. And I find it interesting to compare it to last season because early last season, first drive of the game, Jeremiah Mazzoli hits Jalen Acklin for both with the Thai Cats for an easy touchdown to start the season. Then the Bombers locked it down. I don't think they gave up a passing touchdown for three or four games after that. And we were talking early last year about absolutely how stellar this Winnipeg team and defense was. This year, I feel like we're not say, uh, saying as many good things as we are about the Bombers' defense. But statistically, in terms of points given up, it's much the same. So are we maybe, you know, being a little lower on the Bombers here through two games than we should be when going back to compare it to last season? I don't know. I'm kind of in that mixed feelings with it. Like, I think there was a lot of hype about this team. So I think the expectations were going in were higher but I think we're seeing probably what, like I said, what their schemes are. They don't need to win by, they're not going to do the 59 blowout against Edmonton. I mean, maybe they will against Edmonton, but they're not going to do that against a team like Ottawa. They're going to manage the game. They're going to punt the ball, field position. You know, they, they have trust in their defense, right? So they're not going to make risky plays and they're going to nickel and dime. Other than that, I think I'm just going to run the ball more, like we talked about, or give it to Augustine. But other than that, I don't know. I'm kind of in the middle. Like maybe it's again my hometown bias. Obviously, I want them to win, you know, sixty nothing every game and throw for five hundred yards and do all that. But you know, they're two and zero. 
They're right in the mix of it with the West. The West is going to be hard. Like, you know, early wins, you know, what's a three-way tie for first, I guess. So it's going to be insane. So I think they did exactly what they needed to do to win the game. And I'm not I'm not too concerned. I don't think they're going to go 18-0, and but I don't think it's going to be a sky is falling and, you know, in the rest of the game they're going to be this close. Um, well, I think we should probably start moving on to our uh, next game here. But before we do that, uh, uh, the betting picks in this one, Trey, I, I know this one I didn't get right. I went Ottawa outright on this game. Uh, in terms of uh, straight-up CFL pick my one bad mark on the season, uh, how did we do overall on the on the picks in this one? Yeah, like you said, you took Ottawa. I then I took Ottawa with the points per which they did not hit as well. Um, but Adam, the Rough Rider fan, took Winnipeg to win, and he got it right at minus two and a half. So he got the check mark there. I think that would have moved you and me to five and two. And I think we're all at five and two at this point. So again, you're making money if you're listening to this show. Like you know, that's the main part. Yeah, uh, listen to us. We'll uh, we'll lead you to glory. Um, and fantasy wise in this game, Dalton shown still such a money value play at a $2,500 play. A lot of Ottawa receivers, a little bit cheaper in price, making some good plays here as well. Uh, let's move on to our next game here. Uh, the Calgary Stampeders and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, Mike, you are back. I believe you are moving. You're not frozen anymore. We're happy to have you back here to join us as we talk about the wildest game of the week. I think, uh, it starts out with, well, we talked about on our preview show, the storylines once again, how is Dane Evans going to bounce back? He just had the, you know, birth of his, uh, I believe it was his daughter this past week. And uh, would that motivate him to come out uh, and play a good game? And boy, did he light it up in the first half, almost 300 yards passing, three touchdowns here early in the game for uh, Hamilton and Dane Evans. Uh, they jump out to a 24 to three lead at halftime. And then Calgary flips the script in the second half uh, here and uh, ties the game up and they go on to win this one in overtime. Uh, Mike, what do you think on this Calgary Hamilton uh, weird game here? Well, depending on which side of the aisle you stood, that's the kind of half a football game you like, to be honest. Um you know, Hamilton, you're thinking, oh, okay, the world's, you know, great. You know, our offense is bad. Uh, Calgary to to no one's, uh, as everybody's surprised, is everybody's waiting for the demise of the Stampeders to occur. Um, people thought it did, and then, you know, all of a sudden, momentum starts to switch, and... You have to do amazing things to blow a lead like the Hamilton Tiger Cats did in today's CFL. Just given the checklist of about 10 or 12 items that have to go right, um, it's remarkable. Um, and how do we find a way? And... You know, I may have put something in the, in the group chat, but essentially the game was over, but I should have known better. Um, I, I I don't know if it's an accident that Kadeem Terry goes out and Calgary's offense finds life. I, I, I'd like to think not, but 
boy, I, I just can't help but wonder, you know, what Hamilton is thinking at this point, right? Like back-to-back three cups, we find a way to lose, you know, the second one hurts more than the first one. And then to find a way to lose this game, like, at some point to a large portion of that team, it has to be demoralizing. And the moral of the story is don't ever give up. Yeah, a game that, uh, you know, Calgary was not looking good at all early in this one, but uh, they they bounced back. You mentioned the injury to Kadeem Carey. Peyton Logan, the backup comes in uh, nine carries 45 yards four catches for 59 not a bad game for a for a backup running back to come in and play and they flipped the script here uh trey what'd you think of this uh this game between calgary and hamilton here you know this was the one i've had like i think i said soul searching to think about this calgary team and where do you put them in the you know in the west right now in power rankings and everything and I don't know. This was a tough one for me. I'm watching the highlights again and again. It's tough for me to say if Calgary won it or Hamilton blew it, you know, and maybe it's a mix of both. Saw some missed tackles on Hamilton. Saw some, you know, saw some things that, you you, you know, you think you would be a little bit tighter on a close game. And, you know, it's a tough one. I'm not high on Calgary, but, you know, they they didn't, you know, if you see the first half, Calgary is a lot different than the second half, Calgary, and even the fourth quarter, Calgary, really, right? So, you know, they're going to be dangerous team if they play like that fourth quarter all year long. So that's kind of my intake on Calgary. Hamilton, that's got to hurt in Hamilton. Like uh, Mike said, back-to-back great cup appearances. Now you start the season 0-2. and They probably don't have much of an easier schedule upcoming either, right? So it, it, it's a very interesting game. You know, no lead is safe. And yeah, Mike should know better than saying things like that in the group chat. <laughs> um. Bowie by Mitchell finishes the day 28 of 42, 313 yards, two touchdown and an interception. And it, it kind of almost seemed, you know, we've talked so much about which bow are we going to see this season? And last week it didn't look good early in this game. It wasn't looking good. Second half, you know, he gets it done. He puts a couple touchdowns on the board, hits over 300 yards, leads the, the late game drives, drives in overtime uh it did this almost seemed like we saw glimpses of vintage Bo Levi Mitchell here in the second half and if he can string that together into another game I think they play Edmonton this week uh you know uh should be a game they should be able to win there you know let's get some momentum going here early in the season for Bo Levi Mitchell you got his star receivers involved here as well Kamar Jordan had over 100 yards Reggie Bagleton 47 a bit quiet but some clutch catches and a touchdown there for him and uh you know did his usual spread the ball around everywhere so uh i don't know what was said in the locker room at halftime for either of these teams but uh and who was doing the talking whether it was bo himself for calgary dave dickinson but something sparked the uh the stampeders here uh to rally back and pick up a win here and kudos to them for that now I want to switch over to the Hamilton side of this. Uh, how did the how did this fall apart for Hamilton here in the second half, guys? Like uh, Dane Dane Evans, as I mentioned, was on fire in the first half. Three touchdowns, almost three hundred yards. He finishes the day with four twenty five, but two picks, also a fumble in the second half on a one yard plunge that ended up going the other way for a touchdown and one of the most bizarre short yardage plays I think I've ever seen. Uh, Mike, what did you think of uh, how, th- how 
how Hamilton started and finished this? Well, to be honest, I thought they played a pretty close to perfect first half, and then it's almost like they forgot how to play football. You know, a mistake here, mistake there, mistake there, mistake there. It's all of a sudden piling up to a Calgary rally. Um, you know, Calgary to me is, you know, they credit to them. They're 2 and all two close wins. Uh, something that will galvanize a lot of teams. But maybe we're getting to the point where this Hamilton team is not what they were the last two years. Certainly a lot of questions. Um, granted, we're two weeks into the season and everybody could rate the Bombers off, and yet they're 2-0 and old for some of them. Whereas I, I think the two Bomber efforts were, you know, some of the quietest. Maybe even all of last year we didn't have any of these types of games. But that being besides the point, uh, Hamilton is, to me, a lot of questions. Uh, there, is, there are positives to this game from Hamilton, though, and that is a quarterback. Uh, I had Dane Evans in fantasy football in week one. I did not get a lot of production out of him. I was this close to not playing him again. But you know what? Like great quarterbacks do. They bounce back. But this might be a game of unfortunate circumstance. Um more than anything for Hamilton. I want to see if this becomes a trend. I'm not overly worried yet, although you never know, right? Owen to Hamilton, they started like that last year. And how did it end up? Well, an East Division championship, to be precise. So I'm not sure I'm willing to say it's season over for Hamilton, but Maybe these aren't the cats that like to prey on their opponents of years past. But I'll stop short of suggesting that it'll be a trend. I, I think Hamilton's going to bounce back. Uh, I think we, like we talked about Dane Evans' big bounce back. Tim White had a huge bounce back game. Uh, 11 catches on 14 targets for 131 yards and a touchdown. I hyped this guy up in preseason. I took him in our fantasy draft. I had him in my lineup for that this week uh, where, uh, you know, with no Jalen Ackland, no Brandon Banks, it's Braylon Addison and Tim White are your go-to uh, top two guys here and Stephen Dunbar Jr. as well. But uh, it was nice to see, you know, the top receivers stepping up and playing here for Hamilton now I got to talk about the run game a little bit, though, because I want to know for the second straight week, where is it for Hamilton? Sure, Sean Thomas Erlington, Don Jackson out due to injury, STE, Sean Thomas Erlington, massive game through the air, seven catches, nine targets, 72 yards, but not running the ball, just five carries on the day. Dane Evans had more carries than your starting running back, especially in a game where you're up that much early in the game, you know. Are we surprised at all, Trey, that uh, we, you know, Hamilton doesn't run the ball a little bit more here, you know, as you get into the second half to try to eat some clock here and, you know, come out with the win when you've got the lead? Yeah, it seems like it's a slowly growing trend in a two, like basically having two downs that you've, some teams, they go away from the run game and, you know, it, 
you know, it, it run game sometimes non-existent in a four down NFL game, let alone a three down CFL game. So like, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, you run, I'm a run the ball guy. Like, I'm like, you should run it like, you know, at least 50% of the plays. And especially if you have the lead, regardless if it's three downs, four downs, five downs, right? Run the ball. That's football. But again, I'm not surprised with the trend of this because, you know, Calgary didn't really run heck of a lot either. Uh, we were talking about some other teams that don't really run the ball. The teams that run the ball, Toronto with Harris. Winnipeg doesn't even run it as much as they, you know, traditionally have. So not getting on the other off of the top of other teams, but I think rushing it just seems to be down anyway, except for those teams. If you have a guy like Harris who he's going to pick up, like he'll, he'll pick up whatever he needs to. So yeah, it's weird. I am surprised, but not surprised. It's kind of a weird answer. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's an excellent point that, uh, you know, you seem to see more teams, you know, splitting their carries between running backs, wide receivers, even, you know, Hamilton likes to do that. So uh, you've got uh, Poppy White with two, Braylon Addison with two, Malik Irons got in there as well. So you get the ball spreading around a little bit here. Uh, heartbreaking loss in overtime for Hamilton. Uh, great comeback win here for the Stampeders. Uh, how did we do on the, uh, the betting picks here in this one, Trey? Ah, uh, you, you and me had the exact same picks all weekend. So you and I both took Hamilton minus one and, uh, Adam took Calgary plus one and, uh, Calgary outright one. So Adam turned his weekend around. Uh, yeah, you and I went to four and three at this point, but Adam was sitting at five and two. Still making money with any of us, but yeah, Adam had us bested a little bit this weekend. Apparently me setting my lineup on the CFL Pick'em website earlier in the week and what I picked on our show did not match because uh, I was disappointed remembering I had picked Hamilton to win this one. Then I checked the Pick'em website and I uh, was pretty thrilled to see I actually did pick the Cats or sorry, the Stampeders originally there to pick up the win, but uh, in our little betting game here. Uh, yeah, another loss for us. Kudos to Adam for that one. Uh, speaking with Adam, speaking about Adam, let's uh, talk about his Saskatchewan Rough Riders, who pulled out a uh, twenty-six to sixteen win over the Edmonton Elks. Uh, Storyline for me on the Riders here is that it's uh, a second straight game where it feels like they were the dominant team in this one throughout the game, but not putting those points on the board and four minutes left in the game, much like last week, it's a close one. Edmonton actually leading until about 4.15 left in the game when Cody Fajardo finds Mitchell Pickton in the end zone. They complete the two-point convert, then they add a field goal later on yet as well. And the defense just, you know, flattens out anything that Edmonton could pull off there late in the game. But Another really uh, solid game for the Riders, but uh, a close one here. Mike, what did you think of uh, Saskatchewan's uh, performance here as they, they move to 2-0? and Well, since we're not pitching apart Winnipeg for two close wins, uh, I, I don't think we should be pitching apart the Riders uh, in this game either, uh, just, just to be fair. And... You know what, to, to be honest with you, this would be a moral victory as well for the Edmonton House. I know they don't count in the standing, but this to me is about how were the Elks going to respond after being mauled by the uh, BC Lions in week number one, no pun intended, uh, but that's what happened. Uh, the response from Edmonton to me was uh, pretty dread. 
uh, all things considered. Um, I, I think we owe a lot of credit to the writers in this one because it is a trap game written all over it. I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to do is play a team that just lost by 30-plus points and didn't really have a good showing on the field. Uh, that right away puts me in that position of, oh, I got to win the next game. Um, to, to me, that, that it's just real interesting here. And I don't think we're going to get clear separation until Winnipeg and, and uh, Calgary play, Winnipeg and Saskatchewan play, Saskatchewan and Calgary play. You can make these preconceived notions about two games in, but this rider team is something to behold when it comes to their sacks. Uh, I know I sent you guys this uh, in the group chat before the show. Um, the Riders have more sacks. I think it's 13 in two games. Uh, that's more than the entire East Division put together. Not quite as much as the rest of the lead put together, but... Hey, I'll tell you something, and, you know, there was the comment in the chat about the Riders have always been a, a, a defensive team. That's not a bad way to play football. To the last I checked, there was a saying called defense wins championships. Winnipeg wrote a defense last year to a great cup. Saskatchewan wrote a pretty darn good defense to two smooth victories. Offense, give it some time to come around. Um... I think the Riders are playing another trap game uh, this week against Montreal, but I'll leave that for you boys to discuss on Wednesday night. All in all, um, it's a typical CFL game, right? You're tied. It's tricky. You're in another team's barn for a home opener. The teams find a way, and the Riders, to me, prove that they deserve to be in the top-tier discussion in the West Division. I think we would have had serious questions about how consistent can this team be if they would have lost to Edmonton. So, are the Riders a good team? Yes. We'll see when they play Calgary and Winnipeg. Do I think they're going to be a good team, man? Yes. But I, I think the common denominator amongst everything here, guys, Defenses are ahead of the offense. It's not just in Winnipeg. It's not just, you know, Saskatchewan. It seems to be everywhere where, you know, that massive output minus BC in week one, which is kind of the, the, the outlier to the situation. But offenses as a whole taking a little bit longer to get going. Defenses generally rule the day early in the season. Um, to me, I'm really intrigued here. What, what happens going forward? Uh, Dan Clark to me, uh, is the interesting part because he had a serious injury, uh, broke in February, I think it was, uh, in the fourth quarter, um, really exacerbates the Saskatchewan offensive line situation even more, um, I don't think you can get a clear indication of how things go uh, from an offensive line standpoint when it happens that late in the game. Uh, now that they have a week to reset. But you know what? I'll give the riders a lot more credit than 
some people were doing them online. And I'll also give Edmonton a lot more credit too for pitching themselves off the mat and saying, for the most part, that week one performance, not who we are. Now the next question dies, week three and beyond. We start to learn more about each team each week. Both these teams really excite me in that regard. Yeah, and we'll talk about the Edmonton side of things here yet. But uh, Saskatchewan defense, uh, another solid game here. We talked a little bit preseason about how we were worried about the defensive backfield. Well, I guess you don't really need, you know, to worry about it when the opposing quarterback's on the field, uh, lying on the field, uh, you know, every second play due to your defensive line and linebackers. Uh, Trey, what do you think of this performance here by the Riders? Uh, again, strong defensive performance and a late offensive outburst. Now to tie in what Mike said, he says great defenses. And what do you do against a potential defense or great defense or any good defense? You run the ball. We were just talking about it. They ran for over 180 yards combined with uh, Jamal Morrow and all the other guys. 45 yards on Edmonton. Like you got to run the ball, especially – Western teams, you know, that's how Prairie boys play. Run the ball. That's all I'm going to – you're going to hear me talk. Run the ball and hit field goals. That's all you need to win a football game in Canada, really. And, and yeah, you have a quarterback who could score for 300 yards, but we see Mazzoli 0-2, and, and he's throwing perfect games. You know, run the ball. And I think that's Saskatchewan's success. They're taking a little bit of a playbook out of Winnipeg the last two years. You don't need a quarterback throwing for 300 yards. You don't need him throwing for five uh, five touchdowns. Just as long as he's not giving up, giving up the ball, no fumbles, no weird uh, things like the Dane Evans pickpocket there, no turnovers, and just the run the ball down the throw. You own the clock. You have the crowd there. Oh, I guess this wasn't in Edmonton, but you know, in Saskatchewan, you own the clock there. They have the Pilsners going. You have the crowd on defense. Own the ball. That's how Saskatchewan's going to win the Great Cup this year. Yeah, and uh, like you talk, I like how you talked about the running game because uh, it almost seemed like Jason Moss decided to pull the the good version of his playbook out for this one. Uh, it seems like he's got two versions: one where they never run the ball, and one where they run it a lot. And uh, unfortunately, the 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 first one seems to come out more often. Then you get games like this, like 17 carries for Jamal Morrow, and this isn't a game where the Riders are up by a lot and trying to run out the clock. No, this was early on in this game. I think he had like 85 yards rushing in the first quarter in a bit or something like that. Uh, I think there was one drive where he had a ton in a row there. Uh, I really liked what I saw from Jamal Morrow, uh, you know, in this game, uh, taking on that starting role, contributing in the passing game as well, contributing on returns also uh, for him. Uh, Shaq Evans, another solid game, you know, leading the way at receiver. No Duke Williams this week. He drew a lot of the attention last week uh, from uh, the opposing defense. So, uh, you know, it was interesting to see no Duke Williams, no Kyron Moore. Shaq Evans seems like he is uh, very nicely back from his injury that hampered him last season. He's having a good start to the year and the other receivers chipping in there as well. Uh, Adam is here with us in the chat, uh, says, I'm surprised Jones hasn't gone bananas on his D-line for adding so many run yards on them. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the Edmonton side of this here. Uh, much better performance than last week uh, for them. Uh, they were in this game down the stretch. You know, Nick Garbuckle did throw for over 300 yards in this one, but a touchdown, two interceptions, and uh 
their defense giving up a lot of run yards, uh, rushing yards here, a lot through the air as well. This Chris Jones defense seems like it's still taking its time to settle in here. Uh, what do you think of the Elks' performance in this one? Uh, let's go back to you first here, Trey. Yeah, obviously they did a little better. It was a closer game, but still they got to stop the run. Like I said, if if the winning formula is to run, to stop the winning formula, you got to stop the run, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's I think they got to work on that. And And again, if they manage that well, then they put these other quarterbacks in situations where they have to throw – 30 40 times to win a game that's what chris jones is gonna have to do i think again if he had one guy who could probably turn this around it'd probably be chris jones i can't see you know he's one of the more defensive minded guys that's you know kind of taken over the cfl over the last however many years he's been here so that's i'm not too concerned about edmonton like i didn't think they're gonna have a great year anyway i don't think that's the point of this year i mean i'm sure they would love to win but again having one more down year and kind of rebuild and then next year have, you know, who knows who the free agent quarterbacks are going to be this year? Who knows what Trey Ford's going to do? Who knows any of that, right? There's so much that could change this off season. So I don't think that they're too worried in Edmonton. Like, yeah, I'm sure Victor Cooey, I think if you heard him on the broadcast, he was having some fun there because of a pick what ha- happened right when he was in the box. Right. So again, that's a, I think the Edmonton's focusing on that stuff. And yes, eventually the on-field product will follow along. I'm not, I don't know. Nick Arbuckle didn't do that bad. You know, again, if you just, if you didn't have those two interceptions, it could have been a whole different game, right? Mike, like I, I, you know, I'll give it to Mike, you know, I don't think that team did that bad. So, right, Mike? Yeah, to me, it's interesting, right? I I keep coming back to the line of Rome wasn't built in a night. Um, Dominant football teams by, built by Chris Jones aren't built, built in a season, uh, unless they're the Ottawa Red Bots, um, you know, they're setting year in the lead and they have a ton of free agents and they all rally together and they have a couple of great cup appearances and win a great cup and yada, 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 always fine and dandy. But they tore this down to the absolute studs. And Chris Jones has to ask himself, who are these foundational pieces that we can work with? Once you establish who those foundational pieces are, I I think you are going to be in for a much better uh, winning way uh, very, very soon. That being said, I think Edmonton, with all due respect, is exactly where I thought they would be through two weeks. I didn't expect the doors to be blown off uh, in week number one, but for a week number two, for a team where they are on paper, minus Kenny Lawler's ridiculous catch uh, for a touchdown, uh, they would be right where I thought they would be uh, for a rebuilding team. And, you know, to tie this to Winnipeg for a minute, their rebuild certainly wasn't overnight with this regime. In fact, it took multiple attempts, multiple non-playoff appearances, Multiple heartbreaks to get to where they are. Granted, every year has probably been heartbreak since 1990 because it doesn't end up in a great cup. But that being said, uh, Rome wasn't built in a night. You need to find your foundational pieces and build off of that. And to me, this is a much better result to build off of. Remember, they still have a lot of guys on the injury list. Uh, but I, I think could contribute... Um, 
certainly. And this almost strikes me as a year for Chris Jones to say, okay, this is what we have in the cupboard. This is what we can work with uh, and build it in a nice kind of steady, uh, you know, a nice steady uh, structure that's sustainable uh, that is a constant winner. The question is, will Chris Jones stay around once it becomes uh, that constant winner part, I guess, remains to be seen. But based on the Jones track record, year one, not great. Improvement year two and beyond. I think that's what it's going to take. But I didn't think the outside and on the field issue, uh, their on the field issue to me was a lot smaller than what they had off the field. Uh, Victor Cooley to me didn't fix this thing uh, with engagement and all that kind of stuff and, and get banned back in the stands. Uh, but you can't fix everything in one night like I've said a couple times already. Trey mentioned earlier the uh, the offseason quarter, you know, the free agent quarterbacks available for next year. I want to sow chaos and burn the place down and suggest uh, Bo Levi Mitchell going to a Chris Jones-led Edmonton Elks team. Uh, I think that might, uh, you know, turn away uh, a lot of fans around the league with that one. I don't think it would actually happen. I just want to see it happen for the chaos. you know that that's actually interesting because what it what, like no let's play the hypothetical that after a few weeks because we kind of talked about Bo was one of those guys that might have a short leash with a backup right and I'm not sure like are you sure his contract's up or you're just yeah assuming, this is the this is the final year of his contract right so do you think like because he's a prideful guy so if he gets the chain and and he's so no you're holding the clipboard he said he didn't want to go to the NFL because he didn't want to hold a clipboard. So if it's holding a clipboard in Calgary, you actually make a good point. Do you think you'd, re- yeah, it's a good point. I actually, I put some money on that one. Maybe there's a good chance. <laughs> that thought actually is crazy. as you think? I would just, I want to see how that works out a relationship between him and Chris Jones. Uh, I, this game for the Elks, I, I was impressed with what they did, especially. And I knew they were going to be better than that game against BC last week. There was no way they were going to give up 56 points or whatever. It was uh, a second straight week. And I think they'll get better as the season goes along. Uh, they do have some good pieces there to rally around. Uh, Kenny Lawler, 12 catches, 149 yards and a touchdown. Uh they paid him $300,000, and if you're going to do that, you got to have a guy put up monstrous games, and I think this was one of those, and as Mike mentioned, a ridiculous catch there. Uh, kind of an interesting scenario where, uh, you know, uh, Edmonton let Caleb Hawley go, I think, earlier in the week, then Darrell Walker went down due to injury, so they brought him back and put him in the starting lineup. Uh, so Caleb Hawley within a week was cut, re-added, and put up two catches for 51 yards with the same team. Uh, Adam saying in the YouTube chat, Ryan just wants to watch the world or at least Alberta burn to the ground. Uh, you know, what's the fun of hypothetical football talk if you can't cause that, uh, assuming you don't cause anything to actually burn to the ground in the process. Um, so a better game for Edmonton this week but uh, does not lead to a win for them. Still looking for their first win of the season. Uh, In terms of our picks on the week, uh, I believe the line was at eight points uh, in this one, Trey. Uh, How did we do on this? Well, yeah, the the three of us, you, me, and Adam, we all picked 
So Scatch with minus eight, and they won by tenth. We eked it out. So actually, Adam finished at six and two, top guy right now. But you and me are at five and three, not bad. Uh, still making money and got a lot of season left. Right on. Uh, yes, watching this game late. Uh, Riders up by seven, uh, or uh, or uh, I, th- I think they were up by seven at that point, and it was one point short, and I was going to be annoyed. But, uh, you know, the, the hypothetical money I put down uh, has uh, ended up cashing in here on this one. Let's move into, uh, uh, we'll move on to our Players of the Week and our Power Rankings here. But first, let's take a look at our uh, CFL Fantasy Leagues from this week. Uh, Trey, Adam, and myself uh, are playing in the uh, CFL Podcast Fantasy League this season. All three of us picked up a win this week. Adam beating uh, Robert uh, Daltz from the uh, the Rouge Radio podcast. A nice win for him. Trey, you beat uh, Rod from the Wood Cookie Sawcast. Congrats on your first win of the season as well. And uh, I narrowly beat uh, Brazilian Ty from uh, the Two and Out podcast. Uh, the Elks uh, turned the ball over just enough times late in the game for the Riders' defense to pull out the win for me. Uh, so two and zero oh for me. One and one for each of you on the season. In, in our podcast, Fantasy League, we did our draft preseason. Uh, Mike, you had the top score of the week this week. Uh, Dane Evans, Kenny Lawler, big performances from both of them, 115.9 points. Uh, what do you have to say about your uh, your team this week, Mike? Well, it's funny, right, because it's, it almost seems to work that way in a week where you expect the least from your team, you get the most from them, so... You know, uh, my hunch of keeping the lineup together for the most part uh, was pretty successful. But long season, want to be peaking at the right time. Right, for sure. Uh, Adam came in second this week with 104.3 points. Jamal Morrow, the major contributor in his lineup. I had 99.1. Duke Williams' injury forced me to put Tim White in, and it worked out well with a 30-point week from him. Uh, Trey, you had 75.6 on the week. You rolled with the same lineup for the second straight week here. Uh, I mean, we'll talk a little more about fantasy picks on Wednesday, but uh, will we see a shakeup of the roster for uh, this coming week? You know what, man? I've been pulling my hair out because I do not know what to do with VA right now. And, uh, you know, I might have to figure out some – I might have to pull a Tampa Bay thing, Tampa Bay Lightning and do some salary cap uh, maneuvering here to see what I can do because I don't want to lose VA, you know, and but I don't really want him on my bench if he's not playing, right? So we've got to figure something out there. But, yeah, this I don't know. I I think the leash will be a little longer than VA had in Montreal, but – well, it might be a shakeup, boys. Yeah, well, I was I was ironing the waiver wire today. I just uh, didn't didn't. I was gonna wait a little bit before maybe some practices started to see who's out on the field and stuff before I went do nuts on that. Uh, well, if you uh, circumvent the cap in a legal but uh, sketchy way, you're likely to win back to back championships here. But the rest of us will hate you eternally for it. Uh, Adam says, oh, let's not mention Tampa. No, I think we should. It's, uh, it's a great team to mention. Uh, plays a great game of hockey once in a while, uh, especially on a particular Monday night of June the 20th. Um, overall standings in our fantasy league for the, uh, for the uh, season thus far. I am still in first. Uh, Adam right behind me. Uh, Mike and Trey are about 50, 60 points back, but lots of room to make up for this season. 
Uh, as we round out week two, let's talk about players of the week. Uh, let's go over to you here uh, first, Mike. Uh, who in the CFL is your player of the week nominee for week two? This might be a little bit off the board, but I'm going with Casey Sales of the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, to me, very quiet game, four or five tackles, one big shot. Um, really forcing the issue uh, as part of the defense, uh, as it was nice to see Jackson Jeff Colt back as well. Um, but I think, guys, Casey Sales will soon be in the discussion point as one of the top bomber defenders along with the likes of Bate Hill, Jefferson, yada, 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 yada. And might we not, might we not forget, and it might be a, Discussion point for Wednesday, but I just want to bring this up right now. The Legion of German Doom has returned. Theodore Tansen, uh, terrific. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's a defensive attack of characters. Uh, for me, everybody's pitch seemed to be rather obvious. Uh, I just felt that the performance of Casey Sales uh, deserved uh, some recognition. What about you, Trey? Who's your player of the week? Uh, you know what? I was real quick a point. I didn't even know Theatric Hansen wasn't signed. Like when I saw that signing, I was like, oh, right. Like, why is he not signed? So is it just, I don't know, hold out, I guess. Those I believe get- he, I believe if I was reading correctly this week, he had put football on hold to help with the situation with Ukraine. Uh, and uh, now has gone back to play football in his side. Okay, well, good on, good on him then, because I was like, I wasn't sure. I was like, oh, okay, but anyway, that's going to be good. But, yeah, my player of the game, or player of the week, like I talked about earlier, there's two things that are going to win you a game. Run the ball and make the damn field goals. And someone made four for four back-to-back players of the week for me, Renee Perez. Got 12 points for the Stamps in their comeback. The longest was 46. Another interesting point, too, Four kickoffs, average 63 yards, the longest being 77. So, you know, that's a big deal in the CFL game where you pin him back. And another interesting fact, after two weeks, he leads the league in kickoff yards. So, again, you know, he's putting their defense in really good positions. And that's those little things, you know, that help you win a game. I love the, I love seeing the love for the kickers. Uh, gotta love it. Uh, we'll see if a kicker uh, gets your nominee next week as well. Uh, well deserved for Rene Paradis and Casey Sales. My player of the week, I talked about him already, Kenny Lawler of the Edmonton Elks. Don't love giving player of the week to a guy, you know, in a losing performance, but I think Lawler was that dominant. 12 catches, 149 yards, touchdown, highlight reel, catch of the year thus far. Uh, on his touchdown there. We didn't expect the Elks to win this game. They made it a lot closer, I think, than maybe we thought they were going to. And Kenny Lawler was a big reason for that. I also think it's, you know, a guy that is under a lot of pressure. He signed the highest contract of a wide receiver at $300,000. He's got a head coach and general manager in Chris Jones who doesn't like nonsense and, you know, pushes his team to be the best. I think we've said before here on the podcast, you know, Kenny Lawler, if he starts underperforming, I could, I could see Chris Jones not hesitating to, you know, shed some salary at some point, right? So uh, kudos to Lawler for a massive performance, uh, showing why they paid him as much as they did. We'll see what he can keep up as the weeks go along here. 
Uh, Adam did send in his player of the week earlier, uh, who's also one of my honorable honorable mentions. It's Jamal Morrow of the Riders. Uh, 17 carries, 126 yards, touchdown on the ground, four catches for 28. Uh, big reason why the Riders came out with that 26-16 win. So kudos to Jamal Morrow there. Let's uh, move on to our power rankings here. Everybody's favorite thing to discuss when it comes to uh the cfl uh we've got our week two power rankings uh trey you've got saskatchewan at number one winnipeg at two bc at three toronto at four calgary at five montreal at six ottawa at seven hamilton at eight and the edmonton elks actually move up on the rankings this week uh the expansion teams of uh of the past have been uh or and future have been thrown out of the way and the Elks slot in at number nine here. Uh, what went into these rankings this week? Honest, honestly, before I get roasted for them, other than Edmonton moving up, they're the identical of last week. I thought the teams that won last week, that won again this week, didn't do much to impress me much different than the teams that lost again they, like they lost. And, you know, we talked about this in our group chat again. I hate the buys week one and two. I, I, it, you don't know where to put BC and Toronto compared to everybody else. It's a really weird thing. I, again, I want to see more from BC before I push them up, and I do lean a little bit towards more defense in Saskatchewan and Winnipeg have played. I mean, BC's played good defense, too, in their one game, but I want to see two, three games of all things going on, and then I'll move them up. But, yeah, and then the bottom half. Um, again, Hamilton probably would have had a big jump if they didn't lose. Montreal might have jumped up if they didn't lose. Again, I wasn't really impressed. It didn't really change. It's It was a weird week. For myself, uh, BC stays at number one for me. Winnipeg at two. Saskatchewan at three. Calgary at four. Toronto at five. Ottawa at six. Uh, Hamilton at seven. I think they move up ahead of Montreal from my rankings last week. Montreal's in at eight, and Edmonton is in at nine. Uh I, I kept BC number one. I had them number one coming into their bye week. I kept them there because, honestly, of the four teams that won this week, none really impressed me enough to warrant jumping ahead. They pulled out their win. Sure, Calgary's comeback with, and, you know, the narrow victory some of these teams pulled out was good, but uh, it wasn't breathtaking. And uh, so uh, BC, I know one game against Edmonton, big win there. What else are we going to see from them? Probably they moved down the rankings, I would imagine, after week three, but we'll see. Uh, they're number one for me at Winnipeg and Saskatchewan, both teams pulling out narrow victories. I give the edge here to Winnipeg because they won both of a home-and-home home series, which is tough to do in the CFL. Uh, Calgary pulling out another win here for them. Kudos on the comeback. Uh, Toronto I put as the lowest of the teams that, uh, that won here. Uh, mostly because they were a 21-yard field goal that gets made 97% of the time uh, away from uh, losing that game to Montreal. Ottawa 0-2, but I think they've looked good. Hamilton looked better this week. Montreal, I really don't know what to expect going forward. An 0-2 start to the season, a short leash on the quarterback, a quarterback controversy, a starting running back that is out likely for the season. Uh, lots of unknowns here for Montreal and Edmonton. While they did play better, end up last still in my rankings for now. Mike, you have uh, Saskatchewan in at number one, uh, Calgary at two, Winnipeg at three, BC at four, 
Toronto at five, Ottawa at six, Hamilton number seven, Montreal number eight, and Edmonton number nine. Our first time getting your rankings here this season. Uh, how did you end up with these the way they are? Uh, I'd like to start one at number one just for the defense, which we've already addressed. Uh, I like the pressure getting on the quarterback is very with authority. One could suggest, you, you know, you could put them lower because of their offense. But to, to, to me, to play defense this early in the season uh, in general in the CFL is very hard to do. Uh, Calgary really impressed me with that comeback against Hamilton. Uh, the grittiness of their two victories, to me, deserve full marks. Winnipeg, I'm in the show-me crowd. I think they're for real. But I just want to see a little bit more. I want to see is Ottawa that good or is Winnipeg that bad or somewhere in between. Granted, it's hard to sweep a bat-to-bat, as has already been mentioned. BC, okay, one win. Enough to give them a top four spot. Any higher, I'm not sure because of their buy. The other side of it is they're playing the number nine team in my power rankings in their one win. Uh, which was really a discombobulated Edmonton team. Should have done what they did. Um, BC, jury's still out on them for me. Toronto, same deal. They won that one game. So, I, you know, didn't really, aren't really worthy of being put any lower on my list uh, versus teams, but had already lost games. Uh, Ottawa, to me, now this Ottawa-Hamilton-Montreal grouping to me seems interchangeable. Uh, by the week, um, mainly put Ottawa at six because um, if there's such a thing as impressive losses, uh, that would be in Ottawa's category. Uh, Hamilton, see, here's the thing. I, if these rankings are taken at halftime of that Calgary game, I probably have Hamilton ahead of Ottawa, but because of that, I don't. If you if, and rightfully so, we base this on a 60-minute football game. Montreal, to me, okay, you know, you, you lost that game at Calgary. Again, you had a lead late in that game. You, you let Bo get that one. And then the midfield field goal. Like, you, you, if Montreal cleans up, you know, you, you know their, their mistakes, their ways to lose football games, Montreal will probably be ahead of Winnipeg on my list. But the big mistakes costing this team right now. You know, you could make an argument Hamilton and Montreal could be flipped in my rankings, but decided to give Hamilton the benefit of the doubt based on previous chat record. And, you know, Edmonton's not that long lost number one, but they're, or sorry, that long lost number nine. But again, I think there's a sizable difference between Ottawa, Hamilton, Montreal, and Edmonton. We'll see over the course of time if they can maybe close that gap a little bit. Uh, Adam sent in his power rankings as well. Uh, they're pretty much the same as Mike's, except uh, Winnipeg and Calgary flipped. So uh, Saskatchewan at number one, Winnipeg at two, Calgary at number three, BC number four, Toronto number five, Ottawa six, Hamilton seven, Montreal eight, and Edmonton nine. Uh, if you want to hear more on uh, Adam's uh, power rankings, you can find him on Twitter at Adam Stewart one uh, and talk with him there about those or uh, join us for our preview show Wednesday night and uh, put your comments in the chat there. Uh, before we take a look at what's to come here on the podcast and wrap things up, anything else on week two you guys want to discuss or should we get into wrapping things up here? 
Yeah, really quickly, uh, I, I know that um, you, you, this may be a topic that, that Trey wanted to get into, but I, I, I found it on the uh, uh, on the group chat, and I thought it was a pretty good addition uh, really, really quickly. Uh, 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 Ryan, can I get you to put the power rankings up for, for just a minute here while I kind of explain this? Um, so... You know, I have to wonder, you know, we, we we talked about the pressure, you know, let's say Montreal to win based on what their owner has said publicly. You know, Hamilton back-to-back great cups, they're 0-2. Uh, that kind of scenario. Have we been able to formulate, and I'd like to hear from kind of both of you on this scenario. Uh, we, we talked about Coach Hot Seats very early in the season. Um, which team do we think has the hottest seat as far as um, if there's a coaching if there's a coach in the lead but that's fired tomorrow, who's it more likely to be or least likely to be? I, I guess my question is, of the teams that are not doing well two weeks into the season, whose seat is the hottest in, in your mind? Like I have a team in my mind. But I, I just want to see what, what you guys have to say. Yeah, I'll kick. I, I have to say it's Kari Jones as, as his pants are almost on fire, I think. But right, I mean, I, I think so because looking at the other teams, Ottawa, I think Lapple will have some leash. Hamilton, you're not going to get rid of Coach. Oh, like I said, I think in our group chat, I thought I saw somebody talk about it on Twitter, but you know, Twitter, there's a thousand different opinions all day. So I don't know what's actual fact and just someone's opinion, right? And then Edmonton, I said in our group chat, I think they can go 0 and 18, and Chris Jones will be fine for the year. Like you said, it takes a season or two to build that team and defense. So I have to go with Kahari. Maybe I would have thrown Dinwiddie in there if they had lost that game, but again, they only had one game. So I would have given him. It's Kahari, and then I would say Dinwiddie probably should have done better in that game than uh, a field goal. But, Ryan? Yeah, for me, same way. I I can't see any of these other coaches here uh, losing their job potentially besides Kahari Jones. You mentioned Chris Jones uh, already. like I I see him sticking it out in Edmonton unless he himself decides to leave. Um, you know, Hamilton slow start to the season, sure, but I think they're going to bounce back. Lapolis has a whole new football team. You give them a year, I think, right? Next year, if the, you know, if it's a bad year this year and next year they start slow, okay, maybe. Uh, Toronto just went to the East final last year. You know, that's probably enough to give Dinwiddie a leash here. Uh, Dave Dickinson in Calgary, that would be wild. Craig Dickinson in Saskatchewan. I don't think there's any way, even if they start slow, the riders are firing a coach in a year. They're hosting the uh, the Grey Cup, and uh, they're not starting slow. They got a 2-0 start to the season here and a solid start to the year. Same thing with Winnipeg, Mike O'Shea, and BC, Rick Campbell. Uh, you know, BC, yeah, one win to start the season here. Let's say they lose 5-6 straight. Here's Rick Campbell on the hot seat. I don't think so. You got a young quarterback starting here that you've been dealt with by your general manager and a pretty overhauled team here as well. So uh, long-winded answer, Kari Jones to me. We've seen the desperation moves. We've seen the comments from his GM and his owner. It's the one clearly on the hot seat to me. Mike? Are are the pants a little cooler to steal a line from whoever just said it by the fact that nobody – 
in the East Division is necessarily pulling away with this thing. I mean, you look at it, you're just as close to the top as you are to the bottom. Granted, you're 0-2, but, you know, a, a, a couple losses to Saskatchewan, and, and that's a change of opinion. I saw a comment here. I think it was from Adam Montreal Machilta right there in the waiting, and Stern wants a winner. I think if they lose both to Sats, the change can happen. Uh, that's something that I haven't even thought of until you just mentioned it. Uh, Matilda, the last coach, believe it or not, to win three road playoff games before the Bombers did it back in 19. So, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but the idea is there. But let's let this play out a bit. That, that That's just my theory. Um, it's amazing the amount of overreactions and reactions we could make uh, based on one one or two games, and uh, you know, it's an interesting uh, kind of storylines to watch over the next couple recaps, uh, for sure. Yeah, I just want to. I don't think he'll be jobless long if it does happen, though, right? Like, I know there's no head right. coaching jobs open, but even if he does, I could see him landing somewhere mid season. I mean, I know there's a coach cap now, so it might be tough to fix that around, but like. I think he'll definitely get that shot as an OC or something next year, right? So it might not be the worst idea. Maybe he just needs to change up a scenery again. I wouldn't uh I don't want to get rid of Buck Pierce, but I'd love to see him back in Winnipeg. I think that would be pretty cool too, right? So I wouldn't mind. Like there's a little part of me that wants him to get fired, so maybe he can go somewhere else and do something different, uh, if it's not working in Montreal. But yeah, like I don't know who else you could actually really point a finger to. None of the West is gonna get fired. Well, the- it's interesting. It's interesting, Trey, you mentioned that because, you, you know, there have been guys who, you know, have first year or first chance head coaches who, you know, and we, we've seen this in the NFL from time to time. You know, they become a head coach the first time. They don't necessarily have the success. You know, they're in their job. They get removed. They go back to be an OC. And then, you know, two, three years later, hone their craft and become a head coach uh, again. And, you know, fairly uh fairly uh you know significant you know run as a head coach it's interesting because that head coach thing to me it's not just plug and play to make a coaching change but in results it's not gonna happen a lot of coaches don't win on the deed unless you're Dave Dickinson granted he was with the team uh for a while so his record you know notwithstanding that was a pretty Pretty dead. Okay, here's the cards running pretty well from John Hafnado. Uh, Orlando Steinhauer, to me, would be that coach that makes an immediate impact as far as, you know, winning right away. But historically, just let Michael Shea in Winnipeg. Took him a long time to get. Granted, he had a long leash to get things to where they are now. But just because you fired the coach doesn't instantaneously mean results. And and I think that's why, you know, firing the coach in season rarely works unless you pull a St. Louis Blues of the NHL. But football's not hockey. It's it's a nineteen circuit as well. So it's just very interesting, right? It's you know, do you fire a coach just for the sake of firing a coach? Statistics tell you but that's not an automatic shot in the arm either. So there's a lot of calculations but kind of have to go with it 
No, I was just going to add, because it's Kari Jones and he's not as maybe popular in Montreal, could you imagine if he was a head coach, say, Winnipeg, where, you know, he's kind of the guy and then you decide to fire him after two games. But in Montreal, you got, you know, a new owner, a guy who's not, you know, probably recognizable to CFL fans, but not Alouette fans necessarily as much. And because I don't believe he played there. He played mostly Winnipeg and uh, BC, right? So I think that's a big aspect too. Do you think you'd fire a guy like Jones in Winnipeg? Probably not, right? You know, the outcry would be for uh, Wade Miller or um, uh, Kyle Walter's job probably after that. Like, why are you firing the one of the best quarterbacks we've had here over the last, you know, two decades? So I think it's really interesting. And I think coaches in a lot of sports get a short leash when they don't deserve it, right? You talk about, the St. Blues Blues one, like, you know, that was a great one, but that's only maybe the only time it's happened, right? We don't see it very often. And and then again, we have you have the two extremes extremes. Then with being a Jets fan, you see we've only had two coaches in however long, right? And oh, maybe trots. Yeah, let's go. But you know, it's a tough thing to balance because like how yes, if he gets the coaching change and Machado leads them to the Grey Cup and everything's great, that'll be the story of the year. But what would the story be if they do it, Machado comes in and they go 0-18, right? Like, what was the point? Like, at least Kahari could have got them to 0-18, right? And I think, you know, just to kind of, kind of put up one this discussion, I think it's interesting, right? Because, you know, there's that segment of people that suggest that, not to say that Kahari Jones had a legacy. Well, he had a legacy in Winnipeg, let me tell you. You know, 2001, 14 and 4, Kahari Jones, no title. Kahari Jones was a quarterback of some Dread Bomber team, but never won the Grey Cup. People say that Kahari Jones doesn't need to do this. He, you know, has made a legacy for himself as a player. I, I think there's a lot of pride in Kahari Jones. You know, you listen to Kahari Jones, he wants to better himself, he wants to better his team. Personally, that's just my opinion. I hope Montreal does not fire Kahari Jones. Kahari Jones, CFL needs more Kahari Jones is in the CFL. He is one of the nicest gentlemen. I don't advocate for firing coaches. Kahari Jones, you're going to be okay. Fins are going to be okay in Montreal. Stick with it. Find your quarterback. Believe in yourself. You're going to win some games. I'll tell you what, I will be very disappointed if Tari Jones is out of a job in Montreal. And uh, we'll keep on waiting and we'll keep on watching here uh, on our weekly recaps to uh, see uh, if there are any coaches that end up uh, on the hot seat uh, and out of a job here uh, throughout the season as well. Well, let's wrap things up here and take a look at what's to come here on the podcast. Uh, Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Winnipeg time, 8 p.m. Saskatchewan. Convert to other time zones accordingly. It's the CFL Weekly Preview live on uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch. Uh, also on the Game Time TV YouTube page. Shout out to our presenting sponsors of Game Time TV. Uh, Trey, Adam, and I will be here. We'll have uh, we'll talk storylines of every game uh, coming up this next week. We'll talk through all the best CFL fantasy options, and we'll make our best bets of the week and our picks as well. So lots of fun there. And then uh, Monday night next week, we're back with the weekly recap. Same place, same time, 9 p.m. Winnipeg time, 8 p.m. Saskatchewan, other time zones accordingly. Uh, and we'll do the same thing we did here tonight. Recap the games, players of the week, update our power rankings, and maybe take a look at the coaching hot seat 
there as well. Once again, uh, of course, uh, you can uh, subscribe over on YouTube uh, to get all the content. We appreciate all those who tuned in live here tonight, all the great comments in the chat. We always enjoy those uh, as well. Uh, You can find the podcast on social media, on Facebook. It's the Canadian Football Countdown on Twitter, at CF Countdown Pod. Uh, make sure you check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network as well, at CF Pod Network on Twitter. Uh, guys, where can people find you on social media? Let's start with you, Trey. Yeah, you can find me at Twitter on Twitter at Trey MB Harness. Uh, yeah, if you ever want to talk football, talk anything, like I said to you guys, you probably saw me posting nonstop horse racing this weekend. That's my main thing. So uh, I'm always on Twitter. I'm never not on Twitter. So always reach out to me there. Uh, Back to you or Mike. Yeah, sorry, guys. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Darrell, M-I-K-E-G-E-R-L. And you can find my work at Facebook.com, Basswatch, Game Time, TV, MB for the time being. Ooh, little teaser there from Mike of perhaps uh, changes to come. Uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cooper Trooper 42, uh, you know, talking anything CFL, CFL fantasy related, maybe a little hockey, Stanley Cup finals. I think I have a tweet to send Adam's way here. Uh, you can find Adam uh, on Twitter at Adam Stewart one as well. If you want to talk any CFL uh, farming, etc. with him as well. Uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening or watching on, we appreciate it if you do all the fun things like comment, subscribe, rate, review, share the show with your friends, help us grow the show. We always appreciate that. And on behalf of our panel tonight, Michael Garrell, Trey Colbeck, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs>